0: We're all settled in here now. Uh, Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the ETF industry roundtable portion of today's event. Uh, I'm going to let everybody here on the panel introduce themselves in just a second. We have a pretty good well-rounded panel here this morning. I think I just lost my mic. Okay, there it goes again. Uh, We have representation from, from Debbie Furr from ETFGI, which is an independent research and consulting provider for the Global ETF industry. We have Mike Cronin, who is from ETC, a white label provider for ETFs. Uh, next to Mike, we have Jennifer Kim from Invesco PowerShares, one of the largest, uh, most well-established ETF providers in the industry. And then uh, next to Jennifer, we have Jeremy from uh, Robo Global, who is an index provider that has um, one thematic product in the market that they work with ETC on. So um, that being said, I'll turn it over to Debbie, and uh, we can uh, uh, kick off the panel.
1: So I'm Debbie Furr. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, I've covered the ETF industry since 1997, spent 11 years at Morgan Stanley, three years at BGI BlackRock, and then six and a half years ago, set up ETFGI, an independent research and consulting firm. So we're based in London. Um, I've lived over there for 24 years, but as you can tell from the U.S. originally.
2: I'm Mike Cronin. I'm with ETC. Um, you know, we're one of the largest uh, white label providers for ETFs, and um, I've, I've worked at ETF.com where I got to know Debbie's data quite well. And um, about uh, three and a half years ago, I started a marketing consulting company, and then about a year ago, I joined ETC. Uh, once we realized that our, our clients were mostly similar, uh, so we help. Uh, companies, you know, basically market themselves and, and build AUM and, and it's been a uh, sort of a, a great ride and it looks like I'm always doing startups, uh, which is uh, it's a lot of fun.
3: Hi, Jennifer Kim from Invesco, form, or soon to be formerly PowerShares. Um, as Tom mentioned, we are the fourth largest ETF provider globally uh, with regards to assets. Um, we have products both in the fixed income domestic equity, international equity, commodity, and currency space um, here and globally. Um, I actually started my career as an ETF trader on the American Stock Exchange as an ETF specialist, and I'm now obviously part of the PowerShares family or the Invesco family on the capital market side.
4: Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Capron, Director of Research with Robo Global. Uh, we are the uh, creator of the first index to track the robotics and ai revolution for investors well, five years ago we put together a team of uh, investment professionals and industry experts including some of the most renowned uh, roboticists and uh, ai researchers around the world to uh, tackle this uh, investment opportunity and uh, today we provide the uh, intelligence Behind a variety of investment products, uh, primarily ETFs. Uh, the largest ones, uh, uh, the largest one being Robo, that's with uh, ETC uh, here in the U.S. We also advise on uh, active uh, uh, strategies for uh, for Asian clients. Um, before joining Robo, I was a uh, investor and researcher in robotics and factory automation. Uh, worked as a sales side research analyst in Asia and most recently here on uh, Wall Street.
0: Thank you. And uh, just um, for the record, I'm Tom Champion from the New York Stock Exchange. I am part of the ETF group there at the exchange. Uh, We list a majority of the the ETFs or and ETPs, including ETNs and other structures um, here in the US. Okay, um, so I guess let's kick it off. Um, There's different uh, representation here. There's white label, there's uh, a, a large ETF issuer, uh, there's an index provider, maybe we can talk a little bit about how each one is different and how they view the industry differently. And maybe we'll kick off with, uh, with Jen. Yeah. Um,
3: so being a more established ETF provider, we like to focus on kind of complementing what can we provide uh, our clients. So it's a more well-rounded experience. We come with a full infrastructure of capital markets, marketing compliance. Um, so as we, greet, <laughs> as we greet our clients, we want to make sure that they're comfortable, especially the new entrance to the ETF space. I think this audience isn't, I mean, I guess from a show of hands, how many in the audience are ETF users currently? Okay. It's hard to see with the lights glaring, but...
0: (laughs) It looked like about third to a half, half, yeah.
3: Okay, great. So I think um, as an established ETF issuer, I think we have the luxury of really um, supporting our infrastructure. So what that means for me, from the capital markets perspective, how do clients experience ETFs for the first time? Do they have a good trading experience? Do they listen to everything they read in the papers about ETFs being you know, the end-all, be-all, worst thing um, to the universe? No. So we like to um, to use our resources to really help clients uh, through that process, so making sure that they have a good client experience. So from the execution process, um, helping them understand how to trade ETFs, helping them align with, you know, who are liquidity providers and how can they best access those ETFs, um, so providing some of those type of support services. Um, I think our product lineup also given you know, the more extensive lineup in the commodities, equity, fixed income space. Um, we don't, I guess, a little bit different from some of the other panelists up here, so we can kind of pass it over, and let you guys talk about some of your models.
2: Sure. Um, so you know, as a white label provider, we help um, index providers and sub-advisors bring their products to market. Uh, we provide them with a whole host of services uh, along lines with compliance and, and with setting up and using our uh, exemptive relief. And uh, we have accepted belief for all categories of assets, and from them we're, we're basically their, you know, their their consultant, and we provide that consulting services to them uh, to help them navigate uh, all the legal hurdles, and then go to market, and and then navigate the capital markets uh, teams, and and work through all the issues uh, that a new or experienced um, uh, issuer or, or product would have uh, throughout the Know, sort of growth cycle. So you know, we're really that partner that helps you grow uh, whether it was working with Grobo when they were at a hundred million to now being two and a half billion the issues are very different and so we have that wide bench of people like Jay Baker and, and Garrett Stevens that have had the experience to really tell you what to expect next and so that's really the strength that we bring but you know from uh, for startups like we'll work with we're working with the foreign government to bring in a new commodities ETF to market. And so, you know, working through all those hurdles, um, you know, really the uh, experience that we bring to them. And then to our the end user, to the advisor, uh, what we want to do is bring the best quality product so that they know where it fits in their portfolio and then how best to use it. And, and so those are the sort of dual roles that we serve.
0: Jeremy, um, you are a partner with um, ETC. Uh, maybe you can explain what that uh, partnership is like and what your experience is, experience is in, uh, uh, in partnering with somebody to do an ETF uh, with a firm like uh, ETC.
4: Sure. Um, so today we work with a variety of partners around the world, uh, ETC here in the US, legal in general, um, over in Europe, Samsung, asset management in Asia. Uh, so you know, we're, we're experiencing a, a, a quite a wide range of uh, uh, partners. And uh, I have to say that uh, when the idea came up five years ago to uh, set up a proper investment strategy and offer investors exposure to the robotics and, and AI revolutions, we weren't quite sure that ETF was the right vehicle. Uh, And we explored other avenues, uh, mutual funds, and uh, et et cetera. Uh, But what was very clear was that the index approach, and particularly that hybrid of a uh, research-driven index, and the discipline uh, that that comes along with index investing was uh, particularly suitable to an ETF vehicle. And our experience with ETC has been uh, excellent. Um, They've they've been been great partners. Essentially enabling all, enabling us to focus on the intelligence behind the investment strategy, and 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 having ETC uh, take on all the tasks around, uh, you know, from from uh, from marketing to to compliance, uh, was extremely helpful. So uh, I, I think it's hard to find. Um, Something that was that was better than an ETF when we got started. So today we touch on other types of investment uh, uh, products, and, and and clearly it's a lot more complicated from from our perspective.
0: And um, you know, what's your thoughts, Debbie? You you seem you have a lot of experience here in the ETF industry. You probably have an unbiased opinion of different types of uh, ways to list an ETF. Maybe uh, share some of your thoughts.
1: Sure. I think uh, from an investor's point of view, I think what they want to see when they look at products is they want to make sure that they understand the benchmark. I think they often look at size, they look at trading volumes, they look at costs, they look at a number of factors. And, you know, I think it's important to have a good website that explains the product, the methodology. Um, For many, the question is a little bit even higher than just kind of thinking about should I go with one type of issue or another, but it's like should I use an ETF, as Jeremy was saying, or Should I use a future or should I use a closed-end fund or something else? So what are the benefits of one type of product over another is the more typical question people ask. And then when you have multiple products that are similar from different issuers, then people will look at those firms and I think depending on who you are, some of the challenges will be for smaller firms is getting onto the platforms of the big banks, right? So it's, do I have access to all the different products? Um, So, I think from an investor's point of view, one of the key benefits of ETFs here in the U.S. is they are more tax efficient than traditional mutual funds. And so, by that I mean if you look at the in-kind creation redemption that happens with ETFs, that means that there's less capital gains paid out to remaining shareholders in general when you use ETFs versus using a mutual fund. And the fees tend to be lower. People like the fact that they are transparent, so you can look and see what's inside of a robo. So what does that mean? I think there's a lot of interest in kind of disruptive technology and other things coming to market, but often people don't know what those terms mean, right? And even the SEC is concerned about companies saying, I'm a blockchain company now. Well, what does that mean, and are you really? I don't think you can
0: even use that in any of the names. I know. Products,
1: so. <laughs> so, um, so I think the ETF, because they always have been really transparent, have actually offered a lot of benefits to small investors to be able to very easily learn about products. I think the challenges often have been that in many countries, um, and over the years I've been to 60 countries around the world, in many countries financial advisors are paid to sell other products, so they tend to deflect away from ETFs the minute someone asks and go to the products where they get paid to sell them. Here in the US, you're lucky that that doesn't happen. So I think that ETFs have really made an evolution in the way people invest. And I think the other thing that's really important is, um, and I'm not sure if we're gonna get to this later, but robos. I mean, I think many people today go to robo-advisor platforms to learn about investing themselves because they're not even aware of how to have a conversation with you guys in the audience who are advisors, right? It's like, if I haven't done this before, I can go to a robo and figure out what should I know at least at a upper level about asset allocation, You learn about ETFs, because those tend to be the products on the platform. So I think that it is important to look at the issuer, but I think it's more important to look at the product. Are they fully replicating? Are they optimizing? Um, What is the structure? Is it really an ETF? Because I think the other thing is, you find in the US that everything is called an ETF, but at times, you might be buying a note, or a partnership, or something else, which will mean the way you're taxed is different. So if you buy, say, a gold product, you might be taxed as if you own a collectible. You'll have different counterparty exposure, and many of the notes that are issued by U.S. firms no longer will do creation. So a year ago, June, or actually more than that, they said that they will no longer create, they just will redeem if that's what is out there to happen. So I think you need to look at the products and make sure you understand them, uh, because they do do what they say and they do on the tin, but if you assume, I think that's when you make a mistake.
0: Okay. Um, so. We- And I think you brought up an interesting point, and uh, we'll try to get back to Robo's later. But um, So what you're saying is that you're not only need to look, when you're interested in buying a product or an ETF, that not only do you have to look at what that product is, but you need to look even further behind it. Who's issuing that particular product? um, And who and why are they issuing that product? And Maybe
1: go back. So I'll even go to a really high level. The first question you have to say is, what exposure do I want? And what are the ways I could do that, and then come down a decision tree? Do
0: you have any thoughts? Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, yeah, I mean,
2: I, I I used to run research at ETF.com, so I'm you know my job was basically educating advisors on how to look at ETFs and how to sort of drill down and, and the way that that platform is set up, and it's ETF.com forward slash ticker, you know you can you can basically look at four levels. You have the overview, you have, you know, basically all liquidity, tradability, uh, and fit, and it just shows you basically everything you need to know from creation size, if you want to do block trades, or liquidity, and it gives you a really good profile score on liquidity and performance, and it really allows you to drill down. So that's that's one tool that, you know, I still use, and I, I make all, sure all my clients are aware of that because that's what people are looking at beyond Yahoo Finance to really kind of drill down and understand what
0: they're buying. And I already know the answer to to this question, but, Jennifer, how important is uh, ETF education to the end users?
3: Yeah, That's actually what I was going to (laughs) comment on, too. And as Debbie was saying, I think it's, and unfortunately or fortunately, the onus is on you. The investors or the financial advisors or those advising clients um, and kind of upholding that fiduciary responsibility. You really can't judge a book by its cover, as cliche as that sounds. You can't judge an ETF by its ticker, by its name, or even by the issuer. You really want to dive in. If you've made that decision, okay, ETFs are the vehicle for me, again, to Debbie's point, am I investing in an ETF versus an ETN? Do you really know what an ETN is? Does an ETN hold the underlying securities like an ETF? Not necessarily. So really understanding that and acknowledging if you don't understand. Ask questions, and that's where your issuers can really step in and answer those questions. Um, No, especially for new users, but even the more sophisticated ETF users. um, Herb shaking his head. Yes, ask the questions. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that's where you can really lean on any ETF provider, anyone in the ETF industry. We want to kind of expel some of those untrue myths out there about ETFs. So I think if um, you know if you want to know what is the index methodology, what type of exposure am I really getting, ask your providers. Ask the exchanges. Ask people on the research side. Um, People in the space definitely want to answer those questions, and they like to hear them, so don't feel embarrassed or think that you should know, oh, it says it's a low vol ETF. Is it really low vol? Or it says it's a smart beta ETF. What does that really mean? Um, Because a lot of that is really just branding and marketing the same way that they try and catch... Catch you in CPG, they, they do that in the ETF industry as well. So um, make sure you do, do your due diligence and understand exactly um, what, you know, identify what you're looking for, answer the, the what and the why are you doing something, and then do your due diligence to understand, OK, are you actually getting what you think you're getting and what you're being advertised um, to get?
1: Yeah, and I think maybe to just expand on what Jennifer said, which is great, if you look at smart beta products, the way the index providers create Minval, each one is really different. So even the indices are different. So it is important that you do your homework and understand that. So I think the big thing is the American turn, don't assume, because when you assume, you make a. So that is.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe we'll uh, switch gears here a little bit. Um, you know, talking about different ways to list an ETF, different types of ETF issuers, and and. Sort of what the expectation is in, in investor education. Um, over the last few years, we've seen a lot of growth in the smart beta sector, um, ESG, and thematic uh, type products. Uh, do you see those trends continuing? If so, why? Um, is there another area of growth in ETFs that you see outside of those? And we uh, start off with you, Debbie, here.
1: Um, sure. So. We have seen growth in smart beta, but as Jennifer said, this is really now a marketing term because many of those products have existed for 15 years, right, but smart beta has been around maybe three years. So the reality- <laughs> Before it was called smart beta. Before it was called smart Exactly, yes. Um, so we have seen growth in that space, So, but what I would say is it is interesting that the largest ETF that just celebrated its 25th anniversary, SPY, still takes in huge flows every year, right? So, and that's unusual because usually, A first product kind of runs out of uh, steam Steam at some point Um, but so what we're seeing is I think ESG is becoming popular I think partially because of Trump right so Trump pulling out of the climate accord in Paris um, has caused people to look at this you know you saw Michael Bloomberg say he's going to put some of his own money as have others so what you're finding is the way ESG was calculated historically meant if you were going to do good you're giving up performance because basically it was negative screening. They took out tobacco, firearms, pornography, and maybe some other stuff. Tobacco stocks tend to have high margins, and so those sin stocks perform better than not sin. The methodology for ESG has changed a lot, and some people go as far as to say that's now smart beta. I think you need to do your homework, but I think many people are looking to have impact in the way they invest, especially millennials. I think thematic is becoming very important, so disruptive, um, is something many people are looking at, um, and also looking at playing things that are happening out there in the world, whether it's clean energy or some other, you know, robos, um, 3D printing, you name it. So I think it's smaller in terms of the amount of money that's going to go there, because Tom's not going to put all his money into clean energy, right? He, probably not anyway. <laughs> I was um, thinking about
0: it. but no. <laughs>
1: Um, so, what I think is going to happen going forward is I think people are using ETFs in different ways. So I think they still use them as core beta building blocks, and I don't like to call ETFs passive because what you find is most people are saying, I can't find good active funds that consistently deliver alpha for every allocation I want. I'm going to use low-cost beta ETFs to implement exposure to get alpha through my asset allocation. And I'm going to use some smart beta and themes and other things around the edges. So I think people are slowly starting to use smart beta. A third of all the assets there are in high dividend. So people are using it because they want income, not because they want something that is smart beta in the truest sense that we think about. So I believe ETFs are going to continue to grow very significantly. We made um, significant growth forecasts for assets. And they're going to grow by institutional users, financial advisors, and retail, and around the world. Today we have over 7,000 ETFs listed on 70 exchanges in 57 countries. Um, wow. So there's even 24 ETFs in Iran, believe it or not.
0: Wow. <laughs> um, Mike, you, you see a lot of different people come to you with different ideas in, in, in some of these categories. What, what are you guys seeing in, in, in this space?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we get pitched. Uh, about five to ten new ideas a month, so we, we see every new idea practically coming to market. Um, we see thematic um, as still being very hot. Um, everyone wants to launch a, a crypto ETF when when the SEC will allow. Um, I, I'm I heard that they heard that's be, next
0: week, but uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming there are going to be about twenty five to
2: fifty cryptos if that ever you know could, gets uh, approved, and then. Um, So, ESG is also big. We have uh, seven ESG products. Uh, We're actually looking to build an ESG portfolio uh, using uh, those products because we have the Vidant, uh, large cap, international, and bond uh, ESG uh, products. So, that gives us a nice core. And then we could add in our, our thematic, like biblically responsible, or. Honor, which is a military ETF, or Pride, which is a LGBT ETF from UBS, um, and so we, I think we're have going to have a nice portfolio of ESG products to, to bring to market. Um, and then fixed income is still an area we're seeing a lot of uh, product development in, and um, sort of these inflation-hedged income products um, is another area that we're we're getting a lot of you know conversations around. Um, So I I think all of those areas and then active as well, Uh, a lot of active managers uh, are bringing their strategies uh, to us and and are looking to uh, build it. But we just, you know, we're really trying to to put water on on a lot of these ideas because, you know, it's gotten to be so crowded that if you don't have 25 or 50 million, uh, you know, we're just like, you know, maybe you should, you know, kind of think about, you know, this twice. And then, if you want to go large-cap equity, we're like, well, do you have 200 million? Because <laughs> I don't think you really understand what you're going after. Um, so we're we're trying to, uh, you know, make sure everyone is is not just, uh, you know, I'm going to have two and a half million dollars in seed, and, and we're going to be successful. It just, you know, I think
0: those days are are gone, actually. And Jennifer, um, what is Invesco PowerShares up to in, in these different categories? <laughs>
3: I can't necessarily speak to product pipeline. Um, We obviously have many products in filing. Um, I think, Invesco and and PowerShares really. um, You know, we were one of the, I guess, the innovators in the smart beta space before it was (coughs) tagged as smart beta and became the uh, marketing phenomenon it is now. I think you listed your
0: first product in two thousand and (laughs) three. Exactly.
3: So, I mean, we obviously feel very strongly about the smart beta space. We're focused. Um, on the the factor space, so both on the equity side and then also how does that translate into the fixed income world? Um, So that's something. ESG is also something that we're very um, passionate about, both um, on the the legacy uh, active Invesco side as well as the uh, passive ETF uh, side of the business. So you can expect to see more from us uh, probably in some of those spaces.
0: And, uh, Jeremy, maybe discuss a little bit about the benefits of thematic and investing, and in. do you see other opportunities? I know you're focused in one area right now, but do you see other areas that you're going to think
4: I think, uh, uh, I think ETFs are, are a great vehicle for thematic investing. Uh, I think thematic investing is going to continue to grow for a number of reasons. Uh, number one is um, the world is changing at an unprecedented pace. Uh, So particularly on the technology side and uh, disruptive technologies, I think the traditional uh, global industry classifications are not appropriate for investors to capture the growth and returns opportunities that are presented by, uh, by these technological transitions. Uh, we've seen that uh, expressed in a way with the, the fang uh, phenomenon, and you know how how difficult was it, uh, how difficult it was to, to, to get the exposure to to those companies that that, uh, that led the markets for uh, se- uh, several years now. I think the um, uh, uh, the low cost benefit of ETF is really important. I would echo some of uh, Deborah's points uh, before: tax efficiency and transparency. So you're investing around a theme. What are you actually buying when, when when you get a share in the ETF, that's really important. Uh, there's a ton of uh, technology funds out there that are a lot less transparent and, and uh, I think it's difficult for investors to see what's on, on, under the cover. Um, the other point I would make is uh, when it comes to investing around themes and uh, uh, technology uh, the index approach uh, has had uh, a, a pretty good track record. If you think about the biotech revolution, for example, investing in biotech was an extremely difficult exercise. Uh, and if you uh, if you bought, you know, five or six companies that were part of the biotech index, you probably end up losing everything. Whereas if you're the index, you know, you had phenomenal returns because you you could capture a handful of companies that uh, that went up m- multiple times that were the, the real winners and. In uh, the case of robotics, automation, and AI, we're we're exactly at this point very early in terms of the adoption. Uh, We're very early in terms of uh, the uh, the, the development of these technologies. It's very hard to identify who the next big winner is going to be. So uh, in terms of thematic investing around technologies, I think ETFs are going to be the right way to go.
0: Okay, um, my next question will lead into a follow-up question, but uh, uh, we've seen actively managed ETFs catch on over the last couple years, uh, mostly in the fixed income space, uh, very little in, in in the equity space thus far. Uh, and we can start with you again, Debbie. Do you see that as a growth driver for the industry? Yeah.
1: Yes and no. I think the challenge is is that most active equity managers don't want to provide daily transparency on their underlying portfolio, right? So right now the SEC's view is is that ETFs should be providing daily transparency. So as Tom would know, there's hundreds of filings to potentially launch non-transparent active ETFs. The SEC has been concerned about this, stating that without transparency, the ETFs may not trade close to their net asset value. So they have not yet approved Filings from many of the large active asset managers who today would like to be in the ETF space because they see that people like you want to use ETFs for the benefits they offer. So I think that's one where I'm not sure that the SEC sees what the benefits is, also, which is another challenge. Uh, not that they should be questioning that and preventing products from coming to market for that reason. We do have the advanced exchange traded managed funds product, which Is not an ETF, it's end of day pricing plus or minus. That is active in many of the offerings underneath that, um, but not the same. What we have seen though, there are a few, so you see ARC has come out and has been willing, Kathy Woods, to do transparent equity active, and she has been gathering assets because she's in the space of. Disruptive technology, and so she's great happy. Performance. <laughs> great, yeah. per-
0: great performance, yeah.
1: And she's happy to go out and talk about what she's doing and why. And if anyone's interested in the space, they publish amazing weekly research too on what's going on, not just about their stocks. Um, so I do think that active is interesting, but the reason we've seen fixed income grow is because fixed income managers are less concerned about that transparency. It's harder to follow what they're doing. And they're not so concerned about front-running, so they're concerned on the equity side. So um, I think if the SEC was to approve non-transparent active, many active asset managers would convert existing funds into ETFs, because the challenge when you move to active is typically fund selectors want three years of track record and $100 million. So if someone comes out with a brand new ETF with no track record and no assets, it's a little bit of the old chicken and egg, how do you get to three years and $100 million? So I think we'd see the growth in assets be pretty quick, because people would look to convert, because Vanguard has the only share class model, and they've patent that. And their patent goes to 2022. So unless someone wants to challenge it, or ask them for permission to use it, which I'm not sure they would give, um, you're kind of stuck.
0: Anybody else have thoughts on on actively managed ETFs? Um, Is it something that you think is going to catch on, or is it going to continue to grow? any thoughts behind the, the non-transparent or yeah, type I structures?
2: Yeah, you know, we, we have a number of active um, managed ETFs, and um, you know they've some have done quite well. And um, you know, I you know for what I tell people is with T plus one disclosure, anyways, it's really hard to front run your trades. So um, you know, unless what you're doing is is really not um, your research, you know, let's say you're, you're more of a you know specialist on an area and not really doing all the hard research to, to come up with the new companies, um, you know, where that's a it's a longer term growth opportunity. Then then you know you're not going to be front run and you're going to be first in. And if someone's following you, that's going to drive your stock up. So, uh, you know, so I'm less concerned about that, um, but. You know, and, and I do see it as growing, so I think that people are going to get get over that hurdle and, and they're going to move over and then, you know, I also think that people are going to maybe buy other ETFs and change the ticker and then all of a sudden have a track record <laughs> and go to market with a lot more assets. Yeah. So I, I think that some of those tricks are going to be coming uh, down on the active side.
0: Okay. Um, what about on, <clears throat> on thematic type ideas? Is, does it make sense to do that in an active wrapper or does the index wrapper
4: work well enough for you? So uh, our current strategy, I think, um, really works well with um, Index, um, reason being it's, it's a mix of research and uh, it's a, the selection of, of companies around the world that, that, that lead the, uh, the robotics and AI uh, revolution is really a research-driven process. Uh, in, in involving not only investment professionals but also industry experts, so when you come down to that universe, and you want you want to build diversified exposure to um, all these companies. The index approach is great. What's great uh, about it too is that the, the discipline that comes around buying and selling. So we have a, qu- a quarterly rebalance process in place, which means that naturally, every quarter you're going to be selling your you know stocks that have gone up and, and buying those that have gone on cheaper. Uh, and, and that discipline is something that perhaps is you know, uh, 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 the key to uh, uh, performance and uh, perhaps one of the pitfalls that active managers uh, uh, need, need to work against. Um, we're actively considering other um, strategies. We're working on active funds uh, for, for other clients. And the reality is that it's very hard to beat the index. So I'm sure we'll see the conversion, uh, as uh, Mike talked about, and uh, if, if the door gets open, and you know, the benefits of ETFs will attract a lot of active uh, managers too.
3: I, and I think, with regards to transparency, you have to remember kind of the three core. I mean, I guess from the beginning of the ETF, the three core benefits of ETFs: one, you know, they're lower cost, they're tax efficient because of the in-kind mechanism, and they're transparent you know, transparency both to the investor and in understanding that, but also transparent to those making markets and trading those products. If you take away that transparency, you have to, there needs to be a process or something in place that allows market makers and liquidity providers to effectively trade that basket, price that basket, and hedge that basket. Without that, the trading of that, that vehicle, that ETF, becomes significantly more difficult, and that impacts how investors can access that ETF. If a trader can't hedge their basket, then that's going to be reflected in the price of the basket, in the spread of the basket, and how you access it. So there are other implications. Um, you, know, you have to deal with you know, how are the portfolio manager is going to protect their secret sauce, but also then how are the market makers and the traders going to trade that, which ultimately impacts how you all will access you know, those products.
1: Uh, One area I also think we're going to see some interesting new products is uh, exposure to China. So MSCI deciding to include A shares into their mainstream indices. And it also relates to comments here where today we don't have a lot of indices that reflect the fact that the stocks that are going to be going in are the 222 stocks that are in what's called the Connect program, which uh, offshore investors can get access to. So we're seeing new indices come to market. Um, We're also seeing an interesting stat that just came to mind as we're talking about this. It is getting more difficult to launch and keep products successfully in the market. This year, so far, through the end of April, we have had 117 ETFs close. That is a record number of closures. And if you look at, if you kind of say a really successful ETF, like a category killer, is one that has a billion dollars in assets. Globally, there's just 659 products out of that 7,300, and they account for 83% of the $5 trillion in ETFs. And in the US, there's like 350 products that have over a billion. So the challenge is, when you get to that big size, everyone migrates to that product, because it trades a lot, spreads are thin. If you want to lend them out, you can. If you want to borrow them, you can. And so getting to that threshold category killer makes it harder for me too or similar products I think to come in with two million and compete right
2: yeah ab- absolutely and, and that's why we're recommending that you, know, you have to have that because everyone coming to market also wants to be a billion yes you know it used to be where they were like if I get to 250 million or even 100 million that would be okay because I'm making money yeah that's no, that's no longer the case.
1: But it's harder, because many people will talk <laughs> about hack and say, if right. one guy, hack, could rage a billion. Right. I've had a lot of European managers want to come to the US and they're like, if he could do it, right. I'm a big firm. I should be able to do that. Everybody it's wants to do that. It's
0: not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, looks like we're getting low on time here. I had some other questions I would have liked to ask. Maybe Nicholas can give us a little bit more time next year. Um, but uh, I want to open the, uh, the, the open to the audience if anybody has any questions. we got a couple minutes here left. Herb?
5: Yes, first of all, Herb, Mike, of the we known by all these people here. Yes. I want to thank Deb for the excellent market structure conference she had ago. So anyone who wants to know about these issues they're talking about in greater detail and with the best education I've seen, uh, take a look at that market structure conference, as well as this, which of course is always the flagship. Also, our people uh, next week, Quaffa uh, Few, of who's a media sponsor of this, we're having blockchain event, so and that's open to all. Now, the question I have is full circle given the theme of this conference. Closed-end funds for um, when ETFs came to market, a lot of people thought closed-end funds would go out of business. In fact, they're still alive and vibrant market, obviously, for them because they do ha- offer some structural advantages that ETFs also offer. Which is not the manager not being affected by the funds of f- the flow of funds, which is huge to me in actively managed mutual funds. Uh, mutual funds with the old structure, and I will call the structure that exists now the old structure. It's a less efficient structure, unless anyone would disagree with that. Uh, the a structure uh, again on all this is important, and the secondly, you know, some people want to use discount premium against other st- to make strategies, and some advisors, in fact, do make money for their clients on that. So I I would say um, I saw an interesting graph that basically shows the growth since uh, 1993 of internet users and ETF assets, and they parallel each other, they shadow each other. To what extent, again, we're talking information and education, should all funds eventually wind up because of education? Either closed end or open end because as Mike pointed out the advantage to the investor of people's uh, disadvantage of the investor supposedly of people seeing the holdings of the fund manager so they buy the fund too that's an advantage not a disadvantage is uh, if it's the end investor that's there they're just getting killed by this holding on to the old structure so to what extent Do you see structure permuting? And if all these actively managed assets, if there's still a market for them, what will that do to the ETF structure and the structure of the markets? I
1: mean, maybe a quick answer from my point of view. There's one big space that it's a challenge for ETFs. If you think about the 401k market where people are putting in different amounts of money into different types of exposures. The mutual fund allows you to buy a fraction of a mutual fund whenever you want to, and that's what's used within 401ks. ETFs right now, it's difficult and almost impossible on many of the platforms to buy ETFs. So that market, which is large and growing, is right now one that ETFs as a structure don't work well in. Yeah,
5: Swap has a good solution on their platform, but you're right, that,
1: that is a major structure of Yeah, so I think if you look at DC products, defined contribution products globally, it's a space where today the ETFs really don't work. So, and you don't really need to trade every day. So ETFs aren't always the right solution. I think there's times when a mutual fund may be better if you find a good active manager. There's times when futures work better. So I think you need to make that decision of what do you want to do, what is your time horizon, how much do you have to invest, and what are the alternatives? Yeah,
2: but Acorn has figured it how much of it is just a barrier because people don't want you in the 401k market versus the actual structure of the, of it?
1: True, but institutionally most big companies don't use Acorn, right? So the challenge the is, technology,
2: yeah. the, is... The technology is there Yeah. and licensable.
0: Um, I think we're out of time, but we can take one more question if... Um
1: um, we've been blessed with a generally a rising market for the last
5: four or five years. And the question becomes, what are ETF managers going to do, trying to do to prepare for a period when we have a a declining market? Because given the nature of the ETF, they they have to redeem shares
1: by selling some of their assets, which can accelerate a downward trend in the market. So the question is, is there anything that ETF managers can do to, to, to reduce that volatility? So just to
3: clear up some confusion. So during a redemption, um, this is a big differentiator between mutual funds and ETF. So this, this is where the in-kind mechanism is truly beneficial. The ETF portfolio already holds those securities. So there's no going out and buying or raising cash to meet a redemption. Those securities are already part of the portfolio. The ETF issuer um, and the ETF own them, the portfolio manager is managing them, whereas a mutual fund, if there's a redemption, that portfolio manager then needs to sell off securities to raise cash to meet that redemption. That doesn't happen, so there's that in-kind, so not only is that costly because you have to go through a TA and all of that, so you save some costs on the ETF side, but you also already have that. So if you wanted to redeem, you're going right to to the issuer and they're just giving you a slice of that ETF right there. There's no other transactions that need to happen. There's no raising cash. Um, there's no going out and buying and selling. That's, that's part of the beauty of that in-kind mechanism. Those securities are right there. They deliver them. You say 9.30 AM, I'm redeeming. I want out. By that day, depending on the ETF, you could have those securities in your, in your custody account. There's no selling. There's no run of the market. It's, it's all right there.
1: And just because the market's declining doesn't mean an ETF issuer has to sell. So most of the trading in ETFs is secondary trading. So what Jennifer said is totally true if someone's redeeming. But if you look every day, not every trade of an ETF is a creation or redemption. Most of it is secondary. But if the underlying market is going down, it'll impact the value of the securities in the fund. But it doesn't mean anyone has to trade the underlying securities. So I think sometimes there's confusion about what's happening and what actually happens to ETFs. ETFs will have market move because of price move. And they'll have impact of creation redemption, but most of it is just secondary trading.
3: And this is this is a big one of those myths. You know, people don't fully understand. And this is feel free to ask me, Jennifer Kim, or anybody on the panel, or really anyone in the ETF space. Like, ETF people get really nerdy when they're talking about ETFs because we've been in this space. We've kind of all fought this fight for you know years when everyone else is like, oh, ETFs are just you know the stepchild. Now we're kind of in the spotlight, so everyone who's been there like wants to talk about it. So please ask questions, but. This is something you know understanding the difference you know what does debbie mean when she says the primary versus secondary trading you know those are two big big areas of the etf market that you know you don't see in a mutual fund so understanding the differences how you should trade in both of those markets how the changes in those both those markets changes and impacts you as an investor Um, so those are all you know as we talk about due diligence and education those are all areas that you want to make sure you understand and ask the easy questions Um, that you think you know the answer to, and maybe you have 98% of it, but that 2% gap can lead to a lot of the myths that are out there. And That 2% gap, and then you hear a headline, and all of a sudden you're catching on to spreading the news as to why ETFs are um, causing big redemptions and running on the market.
1: And an interesting trivia, there's been 51 months of positive net inflows in TTFs, so we've had a lot going on in the markets over that period and people are still putting money net in ETFs. So it's not like there's massive outflows happening. Yes.
0: All right. Thank you, everybody. Um-